Heavenly Father, we just thank you now for opportunities to praise your name. And Lord, even as we look into your word, and Lord, we just ask that you would guide us in understanding you more, understanding you more clearly. Lord, that we may praise you all the more. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. I'm going to tell you a little bit about, uh, I'll start off, I didn't tell Keith this, a little conversation that Keith and I had with some phone calls back and forth a couple weeks ago. And Keith called and he was frustrated. This, this drain wouldn't drain and couldn't get done. And first thing we said, okay, I'll get a hold of this plumber. I'll do this. And we started, we started moving. We started going, getting things done. Called up a little later. We couldn't get a hold of the plumber. And I'm on the phone with him. I hear, gurgle, gurgle, gurgle. He goes, it just drained. Okay. Well, I don't know. What? All right. So we hung up. I just had this little quiet voice going, did you ask me? thought, nope, I didn't. Called Keith up. I said, Keith, did, did you pray first about this? He goes, nope. I'm, and I'm not saying it because I didn't either. I immediately started, got to go do something, got to go fix it. And it was like God reminding us going, um, hello, <laughs> little things, big things. Call me first before you call the plumber, before you call anybody else. Let's start with the basics. And it was just a good little reminder to say, you know, what are we really relying on? And I say that because in, in understanding the between the physical and the spiritual and how often we rely on one versus how often we say rely on the other and how quickly we hop to doing our own thing. Um, one of the things that struck me was, in reading through the Old Testament, the difference between the legacy of King David and the legacy of Jeroboam, he who caused Israel to sin, and just that difference. And I want to look in their lives at a couple of just parallel transitions. They each face a, a calling an appointment to kingship, and even opportunities for repentance. And they handled them very differently. And I think there's some lessons in there for us on that relying on the physical so quickly to also how and to think about how we can start looking to rely on the spiritual more. Um, in the calling, God had already called them. And it was God who made that call. In fact, it was his prophets that went out and said, you, you're going to be the next king. Anoint them, move forward. And for the most part, they were oblivious to it. But God called them. There are plenty of opportunities they had to take things in their own hands. For David, he had, what, a spear and a jug of water that he stole from Saul while Saul was sleeping. He even snuck out while Saul was in a cave, cut a piece of his cloak off. And then he felt guilty for it because he said, you know what, I shouldn't have even done that. 
Jeroboam had a little bit less opportunity because he would have been going up against the might of Solomon, the wisest and greatest king as far as economic and military superiority of the time. That's, you know, congratulations, you're king. You're going to be the next king. Look it up going, um, I think I'll go to Egypt now, right? And that's what we'll read about here. And he says, but how they handled it, and even to the point of when there was a call for repentance, how did they handle it? And I'm not using David necessarily to say, David's perfect, we know he's not. In fact, in the legacies that God leaves in the word, he points out there are a couple of key flaws that David did and had and that chased him for the rest of his life and, quite frankly, chased his legacy. Um, The calling. When we look at the calling that came about, David was not even really considered a son. In fact, when Samuel showed up in Bethlehem to see who it is that he's supposed to anoint, because God said, okay, Samuel, enough already. Quit belaboring the point. Yes, I know you're upset. Saul's not in charge. Saul's not going to keep going, but get over it. I got somebody else picked out who's going to follow after my heart. Saul said, all right, or Samuel said, all right, fine. Gets up, and what's he do? He heads off, and they bring in all the sons. They didn't even bring David in. He was number eight. You guys got a little while to go to get to eight, so. But to eight. And he's out taking care of the sheep. We don't even, it's, it's Iliab, right? He's the big, strong one. He's the head of the house. He's, he's growing bigger and strong. Not him. All the way down through, and finally Samuel's like, okay, do you got more kids? What's going on? Well, yeah, we got more. Well, go get him. And that ends up being the one that God looks at. Jeroboam, if we look at it, was doing what? He was actually being recognized for how effective he was as an administrator. He was actually being raised up by Solomon. Take over one of the tribes. You handle that work for him. And yet, it comes down to God's timing. And were they willing to wait on that? In 1 Samuel 16, 10 through 13, we read this. It says, this is after the Lord tried Samuel. Kind of cut to the part of it. He says, Thus Jesse made, the seven, made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are these all your children? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, and behold, he's tending the sheep. That's the job you give to the servants. Jesse had the privilege of having enough kids. They guess what? David got that job. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him in, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And Samuel's there for a feast and a sacrifice. So everybody's standing around waiting like, Okay, wait till David gets here. So he sent and brought him in. <clears throat> it says, Now he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord says, Arise and anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. I think the other brothers were jealous. 
See, when David shows up later on, when they're at battle with King Saul, the brothers all know what happened, don't they? The prophet of God showed up here and anointed this boy, our little brother. You know, the little guy we kick around and beat up and pick on and push out. Anointed him. And then he shows up to give us food. And what's the older brother say? I know what you're doing. You're just here sneaking in. He's jealous. He's angry. David started off dealing with that early on. Jeroboam, on the other hand, was spoken to by another prophet, Ahijah. 1 Kings 11, 26-40 says this, Then Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, an Ephraimite of Zeradah, Solomon's servant, whose mother's name was Zeruah, a widow, also rebelled against the king. Now this is the reason why he rebelled against the king. Solomon built the Milo and closed the breach of the city of his father David. Now the man Jeroboam was a valiant warrior, and when Solomon saw that the young man was industrious, he appointed him over all the forced labor of the house of Joseph. It came about at that time that when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem, that the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, found him on the road. Now Ahijah had clothed himself with a new cloak, and both of them were alone in the field. Then Ahijah took hold of the new cloak, which was on him, and tore it into twelve pieces. He said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself ten pieces, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and give you ten tribes. But he will have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen from all the tribes of Israel. Because they have forsaken me and have worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of the Moab, Milcom, the god of the sons of Ammon, and they have not walked in my ways, doing what is right in my sight, and observing my statutes and my ordinances, as his father David did. Nevertheless, I will not take away the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I will make him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of my servant David, whom I chose, who observed my commandments and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom from his son's hand and give it to you, even ten tribes. But to his son I will give one tribe, that my servant David may have a lamp always before me in Jerusalem, the city where I have chosen for myself to put my name. I will take you, and you shall reign over whatever you desire, and you shall be king over Israel. Then it will be that if you listen to all that I command you, and walk in my ways, and do what is right in my sight by observing my statutes and my commandments, as my servant David did, then I will be with you, and build you an enduring house as I built for David, and I will give Israel to you. Thus I will afflict the descendants of David for this, but not always. Now, you think that was quietly done? Because the very next verse is this. Solomon sought, therefore, to put Jeroboam to death. But Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt. And he stayed there until the death of Solomon. Both received a prophecy from the Lord. We're going to go back to those prophecies as we get a little farther into the sermon here, but do you wait on the Lord? David did. He had several opportunities to raise his hand against the anointed one. Jeroboam had little choice. He's looking at a very powerful nation, a very powerful king. And part of what he was told very specifically was what? Not while Solomon's alive. 
Wouldn't that be a great? It's like, oh, man, I'm going to be king. But while this guy's alive, he's going to try to kill me. Okay, time to bail out. And he leaves town. In God's time, because here's what happened, how God worked it out for him. Saul wouldn't wait for Samuel the prophet. Saul had become arrogant. He initially started off as a king. He was very humble. Why me? Yeah, I'm tall, but I mean, why me? Eventually he came to, in 1 Samuel 13, he said, Samuel said to Saul, after Saul went up forward and said, well, Samuel's not here, I'm going to go ahead and do the sacrifice myself. I'll, I'll go ahead and just take care of it. Hey, you know, I, I don't know how God wants it done, I'll just do it myself. Samuel said to Saul, you've acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has appointed him as a ruler over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Very specifically, Saul had been given a task. If you do this, it's going to go well for you. Solomon had been given a similar task when he was given his great wisdom. If you do this, you follow my commands, I will, and he makes promises for him. We just read about some of the failure of that in Jeroboam's very prophecy. Solomon had turned some of the people a different direction. God said, nope, not going to have that. Jeroboam, you're going to be in next. In fact, so obvious was it that Rehoboam, and this is, this is classic to me, is in 1 Kings 12, he says, Then Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day as the king had directed, saying, Return to me on the third day. The taxes were too high. People had come to Rehoboam and said, Look, your father passed away. Solomon's dead. You're burying us. We can't keep paying these kind of taxes. Lighten up a little bit. We'll serve you as king. Everything will be great. Rehoboam had grown up as a prince. He should just have their respect and their authority, right? Well, he was served under Solomon, so he just saw how everybody just came in and bowed to his father, so he should deserve that. And how does he respond? The king answered the people harshly, for he forsook the advice of the elders which they had given him, And he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of events from the Lord that he might establish his word, which the Lord spoke through Ahijah the Shalonite to Jeroboam, son of Nebat. Even as in... Egypt, when the Pharaoh would say, yeah, okay, you guys can go. Well, never mind, you can't go. No, no, you can, you can go. Never mind, you can't go. Okay, you can go a little bit. No, you can't go. Right? He's going to let, let the Israelites go, and he calls them back. No, uh, no, yes, no. And part of that, God allowed that. God worked through that. Now, Jeroboam had to wait from the time that he was given that prophecy the time of Rehoboam for the death of Solomon and 
Matthew Henry makes a very interesting point here. He says, Jeroboam withdrew into Egypt. Think about it. He went into a foreign land and waited and was content to live in exile and obscurity for a while, being sure of a kingdom at last. Shall we not be content who have a better kingdom in reserve? Can you live in obscurity in a foreign land for a short time, knowing that the promise that is before you if you accept Jesus as your Savior is heaven above? If we are coming to that kingdom, how much more can we wait? That's part of what Jeroboam shows us in that pattern of going to Egypt and waiting. Sometimes we're walking around in what feels like Egypt, going, this is just not... They just opened up a tarot card place just up the street from my house. And I'm sitting there looking, and I looked at it the other day and went, when did that come in? Wow. Okay. But foolish leaders abandoning God's plan. When the leadership goes away from God, God is very specific on what happens. In fact, that's what led to the raising up of David and Jeroboam. Very quickly, in fact. As soon as Solomon died, they came to Rehoboam and said, okay, you're going to do this? He said, give me three days to respond. Three days later, there's civil war. There's a lot of responsibility on us, just not just as teachers and leaders, as in like VBS last week, but also as parents and as influence Ers, as it were, with the people we are around at school, at work, different people that we meet throughout the week. Each day we are meeting people that we have an opportunity to influence. How do we influence them? There's a humanist saying it only takes one generation to overthrow civilization. If you do not train the next generation, what happens? Solomon started off very well. By the end of the 40-plus years, what happens? He's already wandered off to all these other little gods and idols and all this stuff. And guess what? All of Jerusalem does exactly the same thing. Well, the king's doing that? Okay. If his heart can be divided, well, I guess it's okay for our hearts to be divided. We can go do all these other things. How quickly does our influence lead to traditions and habits for good or evil. Now, in those appointments, there are decisions. David understood what it meant to be God's anointed. You don't raise up your hand against God's anointed. Jeroboam didn't have much choice. But even as that appointment occurs, look at how the two of them respond differently. In 2 Samuel chapter 1, the first thing David does when he hears about it is he mourns. And he actually kills the man who comes in and claims to have slain one of them. He says, Saul and his three sons are dead, or three of his sons are dead, and sings a dirge for him. A funeral song. Then he inquires of the Lord what he should do. 2 Samuel 2, 1-4 says this, Then it came about afterwards that David inquired of the Lord, saying, 
Shall I go up to one of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. So David said, Where shall I go up? And he said, To Hebron. So David went up there, and his two wives also, Inhalim the Jezreelite, and Abigail the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David brought up his men who were with him, each with his household, and they lived in the cities of Hebron. Then the men of Judah came there and anointed David king over the house of Judah. The first thing he does is inquire of the Lord. Man, I wish we would have done that earlier. How many times I can say, man, I wish I would have started with that. Even then, David still rules in Judah for seven and a half years. Before getting full kingship over everything for another 33 because there becomes a long civil war. But David continued to increase while Ishbosheth and the rest of Israel kind of slowly went downhill. David continued to expand. God had blessed him. In 1 Kings 12, it says this of Jeroboam. It says, Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. And he went out from there and built Peniel. Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom will return to the house of David. If this people goes up to sacrifice, to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will return to their Lord, even to Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king consulted and made two golden calves, and he said to them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold your gods, O Israel, that you brought up from the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Now this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. And he made houses on high places and made priests from among all the people who were not the sons of Levi. Jeroboam instituted a feast in the eighth month on the fifteenth day of the month, like the feast which is in Judah, and he went up to the altar. Thus he did in Bethel, sacrificing the calves which he had made, and he stationed in Bethel the priests of the high places which he had made. Then he went up to the altar which he had made in Bethel on the fifteenth day in the eighth month, even in the month he had devised in his own heart. And he instituted a feast for the sons of Israel and went up to the altar to burn incense. Notice how many times it's very clear exactly what he did, didn't he? From a, a political stratagem perspective, he says, you know what? If these people serve the same God and they go up to Jerusalem... They might put their loyalty in Jerusalem. They're going to come back and kill me. Well, I can't have that. So I'm going to disregard the whole prophecy that put me in place and put me in charge in the first place. And I'm going to say, you know what? Remember this golden calf Aaron built? You guys are coming out of Egypt? Guess what? I'm going to put one over here and one over here. You don't even have to go that far. Isn't this nice and easy? It's convenient. You guys can serve... And guess what? We'll all be here in Israel together. Isn't that nice? And guess what? We're going to have our own festival. Um, let me think, let me think. Um, here's what we'll do. That's what he did. Notice not once did it say he inquired of God. In fact, he very much says, you know, if they go up and serve the Lord up there, they might walk away from me. 
rather than counting on the very Lord who gave him his kingship and prophesied it, which is why a good reason, a good reason why a number of the people supported him in the first place, he turns around immediately from God and walks away from him. David's inquiring shows his heart, and it was God that was with him, that approved, supported, even required it of him. Something that we should be considering ourselves. If we're going to be with God and be on God's side, God's side doesn't flip, it's us that flips back and forth. We need to make sure that we're inquiring. And I like what David did, he didn't just say, should I go up? Yes, you should. Okay, where am I supposed to go? You know, it wasn't just, okay, I'm going to go up and I'm going to pick something. He asked. And God answered. How much do our own hearts really seek God like that? Do we or do we? Well, we'll get around to it. I've got this under control. Things are okay. I, I, I only need God when... I'm sick. I only need God when I'm short of money. I only need God when I'm and fill in the blank. What do you do with the opportunities? Now you can say, okay, nice story. These guys are kings. They're getting kingships. This is wonderful. Does it really apply to me? And I have to ask you, as David said, where should I go? Do we ask the Lord that? Where do we go for this? Where should I go for a trip? Where should I go to work? Where should I put in for a job at? Where should I go for dinner tonight? Is there somebody I need to meet? What should I do tonight? How often do we ask those basic questions of the Lord? Now, David's not perfect. Don't get me wrong on that. And that's part of the opportunities for repentance that comes up in their kingdoms. In fact, God offers both of them opportunities for repentance. They both received warnings from prophets. And everybody's probably familiar with the warning from Nathan after the whole adultery and murder situation that David sets up with Bathsheba and what happens. Prophet Nathan comes in with a very innocent story, isn't it? This rich man has all these lambs, and yet he goes and takes the little lamb from the person who only has one, and they treat it as the family pet, and he sacrifices it and slaughters it for their feast. And David is outraged. He's had it. Who's the man? Nathan said, you are. David says, off with his head, right? No. David knows just like us when we're guilty of things. His, his heart was probably killing him at that point. So he knows he's turned away from God. He knows what he's done. And he doesn't know what to do at that point. And it's the word of God that brings us back to things like, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Very simple to come forward and humbly, I screwed up again, God. I know it's only 8.30 this morning and I'm back again. But David answers 
with sincerity of heart. He goes and he confesses and says, I've sinned against the Lord. And immediately the prophet says, you know what? God's already forgiven you. There are going to be consequences, though. God also reached out to Jeroboam in the midst of his sin. In 1 Kings 13, Jeroboam is warned this way. It says, Now behold, there came a man of God from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord, while Jeroboam was standing by the altar to burn incense. You know, the altar he created, with the whole feast day that he created to burn incense, just like he wanted. And the prophet cried against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and human bones shall be burned on you. Then he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall split apart, and the ashes which are on it shall be poured out. Now when the king heard the saying of the man of God, which he cried against the altar in Bethel, Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Seize him. Does that sound like David? No. But his hand, which he stretched out against him, dried up so that he could not draw it back to himself. I'd love to see Jeroboam's expression at that point. Seize him. Uh-oh. <laughs> it's like, something's wrong. And immediately, what's he say? The king said to the man of God, Please entreat the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand be restored. Is that why the man of God was there? The man of God does. He says, you know what? God's got the power. Go ahead. I'll entreat him. And the king's hand was restored to him and became as it was before. Then the king said to the man of God, Come home with me. Refresh yourself. I'll give you a reward. You healed my hand. I'll give you a reward. I remember that conversation with David and Nathan. Right? Jeroboam cannot get out of thinking of the here and the now. Well, you did something good for me. I'm going to do something good back for you. Simple as that. I don't know. Prophecy stuff. I'm king now. I don't care. In fact, in contrast to David, who recognized God's sovereignty, the fact that God was in charge, Jeroboam only cared about his own authority and his own wants. And there's a great contrast there between how we are sometimes torn between our old spirit and the new spirit that Christ gives us and breathes into us. Do we recognize God's authority and his sovereignty? Is God big enough to handle every situation we're in? Or we, I can do this myself. I'll set up my own altars. I'll do my own thing. And I don't need God. I can handle it. Okay, God, I need a little bit of help because my hand is now shrunken back. But that's it. Okay, God, fine. I'll, I'll show up. I'll, I'll show up at church a little bit and I'll give a little bit in the offering. I got it. Okay. There. Is that what you wanted? No. 
Jeroboam doesn't get it. In fact, it says even after this event, Jeroboam did not return from his evil way, but again he made priests of the high places from among all the people. Any who would, he ordained to be priests of the high places. If you came in and said, Jeroboam, here's some money, I want to be a priest. You're a priest, go ahead. Simple as that. He bought and sold even the very level of being a priest. This event became a sin to the house of Jeroboam, even to blot it out, to destroy it from off the face of the earth. Just as God had told him in the initial prophecy. Eventually, Jeroboam's son became sick, and what, did, what happened? His wife disguises herself, you know, she's queen of the land, disguises herself and goes to this prophet and says, okay, I'm just so-and-so just coming in. He's like, look, you're Jeroboam's wife. What? I got news for you. I already know who you are and your son's going to die as soon as you step back in the palace. And she's shocked. Oh, oh, God's just mean. He's just cruel. Why would we go to God, right? Remember all the prophecies? Remember all the times you turned your back on God? Those are the kinds of things that we need to bear in mind because just like with David, there are consequences to sin. And we need to be ready that, to accept those consequences. Consequences such that when David numbered the people, and they came back and said, you've sinned, you had three options. Eventually David said, you know what? I'll trust in, I'll fall into the mercy of God and let the angel come, let the plagues fall on us. And by the time 70,000 people had died, even David said, Lord, I was the one who made the sin. Don't let anybody else. And God had mercy and stopped the very angel of destruction. God is merciful to us even in our consequences. When we humbly recognize our sins and come to him. The even better step, though, is not to be in the sin in the first place and to inquire of God, even as David did early on, and say, okay, Jesus, what do you want me to do today? Where am I to go? What should I do? Have your spirit, Heavenly Father, speak to me to know what I should do. Help me to hear his voice, not to quench it, but to lean on it, to respect it, to listen to it, to really hear you, God. And as is very consistent throughout, the way that's done is through the word of God. His words will guide us and give us those principles. Simply, first and foremost, it means accepting Jesus as our Savior and trusting in God. From there, we can follow his word, and his spirit illuminates it for us. If we will inquire of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the guidance that you give to us. Lord, for the examples that you have set, both good and bad, for us to understand your will. Lord, even to understand ourselves. 
We ask now, Lord, that you will guide us and strengthen us. Heavenly Father, that you will draw us close to you. In so doing, Lord, that we would understand the shepherd's voice. Holy Spirit, that we would hear you. We ask that you would guide us more closely to follow you. Watch over us today and help us to sing praises to you. Lord, not just of our own strength, but of your strength. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.